0: How y'all doing this morning? Are you sure? Some of you didn't seem too certain. A couple of things I want to say, and this is where I always wish I was an evangelist instead of a pastor, because evangelists have such a good way of getting up and chatting with the people before they actually preach, and um, you know. Every Sunday I get up and it's the same people and there's not much to chat about, so I just go ahead and start (laughs) preaching. But um, wow, it's it's always a privilege to be here. I'm always encouraged by what I see. I don't know if I ever walk into this facility or drive onto this property without being mindful of the true miracles that God is doing. Drove by the property this morning and thought... Yeah, God did that. Haven't even seen the bus yet, but I heard about it. God did that, and I'm really encouraged by it. It's also a miracle that I'm here. It took me three years to get here. Some of you know what I mean. I was supposed to be here in 2014, and it snowed that Sunday, and I couldn't drive up Sunday afternoon. I thought about it, but uh, they had Interstate 65 closed, So I said, well, I'll drive up Monday morning. If you can schedule the preacher to preach in the morning, I can get there in the afternoon. And I called him and said, well, I can't get there this afternoon. I'll try to get there this evening. They kept that interstate closed for three days. So here I am, two more years, and I made it last night, 1241 my time, 1141 your time. And one more thing I need to say. I really appreciate the all-night prayer meeting last night. And some of you are saying, how did you know about that? because I woke up this morning and it was in the 20s. I stepped outside and I thought, did I make a wrong turn and end up in Florida? I've never (laughs) had it that warm here this time of year. And so I appreciate it. And it's gonna get cold right after I leave, so thank you for uh, doing that on my behalf. Jeremiah chapter three. Jeremiah chapter three, I am privileged. I get excited about preaching here. I'm excited about preaching here this week. I trust that you will do what you've been challenged to do, and that is open your hearts uh, to hear God's Word, be ready to respond to Him, be excited about what He wants to do in your life. And I don't know, I usually get asked for a title of a sermon, I'm not sure exactly what, but these two truths are going to be significantly emphasized in this message, the place of sin, the promise of mercy the place of sin, the promise of mercy. I would suppose that most of you remember exactly where you were when John F. Kennedy got assassinated. I know I do. I did not say Abraham Lincoln. I said John F. Kennedy. I remember where I was. I remember the school classroom I was in. My school teacher was a Roman Catholic. She was a person that didn't hesitate talking about God. It's hard for you to believe, but in public schools back then, we started our day with prayer requests and prayer. In the public school. But boy, we got that news that day that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. We didn't know what was wrong. She started crying. Finally got her composure and told us what had happened. Still remember it. This you for sure remember, the... Place you were when the Twin Towers were attacked. How many of you remember that? Yeah, okay, we're finally getting to the, that time of history when you were actually alive. remember exactly where I was, sitting in my office, a lady coming in saying, I don't know what's going on but there's planes crashing into the Twin Towers and of course the rest is history. It's interesting how we remember those places where something significant happened. But I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that you remember You remember the place of sin. Now, there's some sins we commit so often we don't remember. We've lied to our parents so many times we can't even remember where we were sometimes or the specific circumstances, but there's some that you remember. You remember sometimes picking up your cell phone and sending that text message or turning on the TV or getting on the internet, you know exactly where you were. You remember the circumstances, you know everything about it. And so does God. Some of you have come back from Christmas break, you've had time with your family, friends, enjoyed perhaps Christmas celebration and some Christmas programs in your local church. But somehow the devil got an angle. And you know the place of sin. You know it. I remember as clear as can be, and this seems rather unusual because I'm not gonna share with you some of the more intimate and some of the more perverse places of sin in my life. But one day I came home to our dairy farm in central Wisconsin, got off the school bus about 4.30. And we knew that it was our responsibility to go upstairs, change our clothes, get into our farm clothes, go out and do some chores around the barn and get back in, eat supper about 5.30, go out at 6 o'clock and milk the cows. And one day I came home and there was the aroma of fresh baked cookies. I could still go to that farmhouse today. It's still there. The barn has burned down, but the farmhouse is still there. I could show you where the door was at that time. I can show you what door I came in, I can show you how I came into the entryway there where the coat closet was, stepped up into the kitchen, there was the stove to the right, the refrigerator was on the left, then the sink, and right beyond that, this tray of fresh baked cookies. If they'd been raisin, it would have been okay, I wouldn't have been tempted. But they were chocolate chip with nuts. It's not fair for a mother to put a fresh plate of cookies out there, chocolate chip with nuts fresh out of the oven. The aroma filled the kitchen. Look to my left. Yes, sir. Amen. Preach it. Look to my right. My mother was nowhere to be seen. I thought, just one. She'll never notice. I took that thing off the tray, gobbled it down, looked down at the tray, and there's this big hole there. She's going to know that I took the cookie. So I started rearranging the cookies. And no matter what I did, it still looked like one was missing. I remember the place. And it seems to me so insignificant, so foolish to remember that at that time in my life, when I knew that I needed to ask my mother's permission, and I knew that she would say, no, wait until supper, they're for supper. And instead of getting that permission, instead of honoring her authority, I took the cookie. I remember the place. I also remember the guilt. The place of sin. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, would you move in our hearts this morning? Our focus is on revival. Our focus is on our hearts and lives being stirred. Our focus is on our attitudes being changed. Our focus is on our spirits being renewed. Our desire being restored to serve you. Lord, you've done much here, and yet I recognize that it is very possible there are some are cold in their heart, and they're not experiencing the excitement, and they don't sense the passion, and there's a coldness because of a place of sin. Father, I pray that we would deal with that because of your promise of mercy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I'm not going to go into a lot of tea, Dale, just because of time, and I do want to respect the time and other things that are going on, though I understand that really this week is about the preaching these first three days. But I want us to notice in Jeremiah chapter 3 at a time when God's people were away from him. A time when their hearts had become hardened. And a time when they were struggling as this weeping prophet preached to them, struggling to be honest about their sin. And we live in a time in the United States of America, and I want us to understand this, and I want us to get this. I even think about it in light of your age group of young people. I have tremendous respect for this college, and I have tremendous respect for what's going on, and I know some of your parents, and I have tremendous respect for them, and I have tremendous respect for this ministry, and for its preaching, and for its pastor, But you have been raised at a time in this culture when sin is prevalent all around us. You didn't understand there was a time when even those who weren't saved had a biblical perspective and morality that does not generally exist anymore. People did not come always from this mindset that God is God and God's word is true and some things are right and some things are always wrong. And so, being raised in that mindset, we call it postmodernism, but we get raised in that mindset where nothing is absolutely right and nothing is absolutely wrong to the point where we don't even know if it is or is not okay to marry somebody that's of the same gender. And you've been raised around that. And a lot of the preaching that we hear in our churches is about the abortion and it is about the same sex marriage and it is about the immorality of our culture and it's about a lot of other things that we sit in our places in church and we feel justified because of how we're living. Because we've not murdered any babies, we're not even thinking about marrying somebody of the same gender. But we don't see the prayerlessness and we don't see the deceit and we don't see the gossip and we don't see the bitterness that's in our heart as sin. We have a hard time nailing it down and saying, this too is sin. And it grieves the heart of God. And that's where Jeremiah is preaching to God's people. But they've lost his place of favor. They've lost his blessing. In verses, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and I'm not going to read it all, but God sees our sin. He says, you've polluted the land at the end of verse 2 with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. He says at the beginning of verse 2, lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been laying with using some pretty graphic language here to confront them with how far they have gotten away from the morality and the truth of God's Word. He puts it in the negative, but he says, Show me somewhere. Walk through the land and show me somewhere where you have not sinned. He said, Find one place where you haven't sinned. He knows the place of our sin. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, beholding the evil and the good. We know the verse, but we believe the truth. I don't know that we doubt that God sees our sin. I think that we struggle to admit that what's going on in our life is sin. Slothful spirits. Disrespect for authority. Speaking sharply with our mothers. God calls it sin, taking a cookie off a train when you know you're supposed to get your mother's permission. The place of sin. Our sin is serious because God sees it. Secondly, our sin is serious, verse 3, because it has consequences. Not only does God see our sin in the very place of our sin, but that sin has consequences. And here he talks about the fact that there's not rain, not the early rain and the latter rain. That was a big deal when you live. Your whole life is supported by the crops that you can raise. I watched with fascination the news about Hurricane Matthew. They were talking initially that it was going to miss the United States. I don't remember where we were, but we were somewhere. And then they said, no, it's gonna come in. And I think initially they said somewhere around, around Miami and it would have done devastating damage, but it would have come in lost power and turned into a rainstorm. It didn't do that. And then they said, no, it's gonna be somewhere around Jacksonville, Florida. and It didn't do that. And they said, no, it's gonna be somewhere around Myrtle Beach. But that hurricane turned in such a way that it just constantly sucked up power and moisture all along the East Coast until they said, this is one of the most devastating hurricanes that's ever hit the United States of America. We're talking estimated $10 billion. That's a B, folks. That's exactly what the commentator said. He said $10 with a B. Dollars worth of damage. And yet in the United States of America, we are so far away from God that we can't even possibly consider the possibility that that was because God's tired of our sin. But I'm not concerned about the storms in the nation so much as I am concerned about the condition of our churches, and I am concerned about the condition of our youth groups, and I'm concerned about the condition of our Bible colleges, and I'm concerned about the condition of our communities. And we do not have the Even the slightest thought that perhaps it's my sin. Sin has consequences. And we begin to see a church or a people or an individual begin to surrender to God and allow their hearts to be resensitized to the spirit of God in their life. You begin to see God do things because you listen to me, young people. God can't help himself. He wants to be a blessing to his people. He has a covenant relationship with us. He purchased us with a price. And he wants to do us favors. He wants to show us his grace. He wants to be merciful. But it does not happen because we cannot address the reality of our sin. The thoughts that we think, the attitudes that we have. God says it's sin. And he said, I know the very place. I know the place of your sins. Sin is serious because God sees it. Sin is serious because it has consequences. Sin is serious, verses 6 through 10, because it encourages others to sin. God begins to talk about the, what is often referred to as the northern kingdom, Israel. He says, can't you see what they've done, backsliding Israel? Don't you see what it is that they've done? She's gone up upon every high mountain. I'm not going to read down through this whole passage. He says in verse 8, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. You see, sin is serious because God sees it. Sin is serious because it has consequences. Sin is serious because it encourages others to sin. I dare say some of your brothers or sisters have been encouraged to sin because of a disposition or behavior that they've seen in your life. I dare say there's others in the dorm rooms in housing arrangements that you have here in this ministry have been encouraged to sin because they heard something that you said. Or saw an attitude that was represented by your disposition. Sin is serious because it causes, it encourages others to sin. I found myself thinking just last week and mentioned this last night in the message that I preached to our people, I wonder just how God sees America. And we are so focused on how God sees the issues that I mentioned earlier the murderers, the, the adulterers, the shedders of innocent blood. But When you read the Old Testament, you pretty typically see God describing how he sees his people in their places of worship. I was preaching from Isaiah chapter 1 last night, and he said, from the sole of your foot, talking about his people in the temple worshiping him, to the top of your head, there is no soundness at all. And yet in that same passage, he said, there is a cottage in a vineyard, and there is a dwelling place in a cucumber patch. And what God was saying is that even in the midst of the putrefying sin of his people, There is that possibility of an individual. There is that reality that He reserves a remnant that are faithful to Him. And I'm saying to you, young people, it is my heart's desire. I love this place. I appreciate what God's doing. And I want you to be the one that has a cottage in a cucumber patch. I want you to be the one that has a place. And the picture there, and I read about this a little bit because I didn't understand this abode in a cucumber patch, but a guy was actually given a testimony in Eastern culture, there's places where they just build up a mound of dirt and just build this little temporary shack where they would stay and they would protect their cucumber patch. It would be melons and and cucumbers and they would protect it so that it would produce and nobody would steal from it and the beast wouldn't come in and ruin it and they would take care of that little place of green an oasis of drought. And I want young people here to see that no matter what happens in this nation and in this world, you can still have a cottage in a cucumber patch. You can still have a place where you are minding your business and you're tending the crop that God gives you and you can be productive because God can't help himself. He wants to bless his people. Make us fruitful and make us productive. Sin is serious. God sees it. Sin is serious. It has consequences. Sin is serious. It encourages others to sin. Sin is serious because ultimately it brings a spirit of self-justification if we won't deal with it. In verse 11, And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. The indication there, the best of my understanding of the English language, is Judah was justifying herself, Israel even more so. Both were justifying themselves. Folks, you know we've all been there. We as preachers have been there. You know, you get a little bit careless in an area, you do something, you say something. And this is where I'm talking about the culture we live in, we Immediately, instead of fixing our gaze upon the holiness of our God, in the beauty and glory of our majestic Savior, Jesus Christ, we focus ourselves on our roommates. Well, I never said what they've said. I've never done what they've done. I've never had the attitude that they've had. Yeah, but it's still sin. It is still sin. And we start justifying ourselves and excusing ourselves and making excuses for ourselves. So I want us to move on quickly to the greatness of God's mercy. Having said all this to Israel through the mouth of Jeremiah, God still reveals himself as a merciful God. And in verses 12 through 15, he says, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am, next word, young people, merciful. Merciful. Return thou backsliding Israel. They had gone a long ways further than what Judah had, and God is even pleading with them, those who seemed hopeless and helpless. He said, you come back, and you just see what happens with my mercy. I'm a merciful God. I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity." that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. All those verses are packed with truth, young people. I thought about making this two messages, but I felt like if I did, you'd lose the impact of the second part of the message in the time in between the sermons. So did we get the first part? Sin is serious. That place of sin is serious. God remembers that he knows every single spot. Every single word. Every idle thought, God knows it. The place of sin, but the promise of mercy. There is, we see, first of all, the invitation to return. I won't belabor it. We know that God's a merciful God, and he invites us to come back to him. But what I want to focus on is not the invitation to return, but the basis, the reason that he gives us this invitation. Why is it God would invite us, sinful man, to return to him? Why is it God would invite us who have so many times gone back, turned back, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? Why does he invite us to come back? First of all, because it's his very nature. It's his very nature to be merciful. I do want to take time to turn to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, and I'm sure you're familiar with these verses. But Lamentations chapter 3, if I ever get down on myself in reference to my behavior, my sin, my disobedience, I find these verses to always be an encouragement. Because I know they're true. Because God is true to his nature and his character. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I. Are you there in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21? This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. I have hope, have I hope? Compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And then verse 24, and I don't want to take time to tie this back to the cucumber patch, but it is literally what it's saying. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. Young people, I don't know if I'll come back to this scene sometime later in the week, but one of the things that I want us to understand is every one of you are individual. God has put you here right now for a purpose and and, and has has a place for you. And with that purpose and place in mind, God is basically saying, I've given you, I've marked off a portion that is yours. It belongs to you. You can see my blessing within that portion. You can see my hand moving and working in that place. Or you can find it a place that is devastated and ruined and useless and fruitless because of the sin in your life, the Lord's my portion. Oh, I thought the sin was the answer. Oh, I thought the things that I was doing and enjoying, that was the way to go. Oh, I thought the deceit that I was expressing to my parents would cover up my tracks and I would somehow then get out of my problems and I'd have the blessing of God. It won't work. God's your portion. Just this Tuesday, one of our new converts. He got saved in the Morgan County, County Jail on November 22nd. He eventually got out. He's coming to our church. I visited him Tuesday night. and He said, I haven't been in church for 30 years. I'm 37 years old now. I haven't been in church for 30 years. And he said, for, for all that time, the devil was sitting right here. He said, I don't know if this is right or not. He said, I don't understand much about the Bible. All I can tell you is what's going on in my life. I like those testimonies. He said, but the devil was sitting right here and he was constantly whispering in my ear, telling me what to do and promising me that it'd be good and it'd be great. And he said, all he gave me is devastation and destruction. I have nothing. He said, I don't even have a place to live. But he said, now all of that that was in me when I prayed and asked Christ to save me, he said, I don't know what happened, but something came out of me. And all of a sudden, something came in me. And he said, what I have in me is better than anything I had before. The Lord is my portion. He's worth it. And Jeremiah in Lamentations is saying his faithfulness is great. His mercies are new every morning. We are sinners at best, but knowing God is our Savior and understanding the place of sin and the shame that comes and the guilt that comes with that place of sin, we need to claim the promise of mercy and say, God, today I can find that place of mercy and come before you and seek your face, experience your forgiveness, and walk again with you. I remember evangelist John Van Gelderen saying years ago at what was then the Holiness Conference, there's never, never, never a time that a Christian is more right with God than the moment they truly confess their sin. In that moment, we agree with God. And He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the invitation to return. The basis to return is God is merciful. The basis to return is our repentance. God says, come on my conditions." And I believe this is where we struggle. I don't want to be too specific or too personal, but I don't mind being transparent. The sins that I've conquered in my life are the ones that I was broken over. Where you finally wake up one morning, you say, God, what's wrong with me? I'm your child. Why why am I doing this? And in the minutes of that, in the moment of that transparent, humble, broken honesty, God's mercy is experienced. And that mercy is new every morning but it's based on repentance. The basis of the return is God's promise of mercy. It's our repentance. And then it's because he said, you're married to me. Every time you go out and you're unfaithful, it's like committing adultery. It's like committing whoredom. These are not words that we throw around casually, but God is using them in his word and saying, listen, you belong to me and I belong to you. And you say, this is written to the Old Testament nation of Israel. They're the wife of Jehovah, yes, but we are the bride of Christ. And he says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, What? Don't you get it? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God. That Holy Spirit is in us. And we do not have the right to do as we please, and every time we do, we commit adultery. Technically fornication, but the point is, we are unfaithful to the bride that we're betrothed to. We're married to him. We're betrothed to Jesus Christ. I love verse 14. And this is really what I want us to get. God remembers the place of sin. But he says, i got to get back to Jeremiah. I'll never find it in Lamentations. Verse 14, notice what he says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you. Young people, you get this. You get this. If you don't get anything else from the message, you get this. I will take you one of a city and two of a family. And bring you to Zion we are living in a culture that has become so casual and so careless with sin and I don't know if I dare to do this I'll probably you would have caught me though wouldn't you we've gotten so careless and casual with sin that we don't recognize how important the statement is that he just said God said I would be satisfied of just one of you in a whole row or even a whole section would just get transparent and right with me. I'd be glad if just a couple of you in the college would get a hold of this truth. I'll take you one or two and do with you what I want to do with everybody. You don't have to wait for anybody. You don't have to wait for anybody this morning, young people. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. And I don't want to make light of this. But the question isn't so much, what have you done? But what will you choose to do today? Oh, sin has scars. Sin sticks in our mind, and the shame of it there is, is there a long time. But I'm saying, do you have a God? who is reaching out to you right now, and he says, I know what happened over Christmas break. I know what happened last semester. I know what happened last summer. I know what happened whenever. And if you've not unloaded that, if you've not come humbly before God and said, God, I'm claiming your promise. You're merciful. You're reaching out to me. All I need to do is repent. I need to get honest about it. He said, I'll take just one of you. I'll take two of you. But let me show my mercy and compassion to you. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Father, I pray this morning for whatever purpose you laid this message on my heart and for whatever purpose you have in this student body. I pray that some would genuinely and sincerely, not because somebody else has, but Lord, because they know in their heart there's something there that they've not dealt with. Something there they've not been honest about. Something there they've not humbled themselves before you to deal with. Lord, I pray this morning that they would just reach out to you based on your nature and character and say, God, I want the place of mercy. You promised it. And Lord, I pray with genuine, sincere, humble admission we'd come before you this morning and deal with what the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts about. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? The instrument's gonna play. If God is speaking to your heart, you need to deal with something, whether you do it right here at the front or in your place, let me encourage you to respond to him this morning.